if you do good work, money is easy to get, right? And the, the better the work you do, the cheaper the money is, right? And so, so for us, we're constantly feeding new investment into the group, but based on this kind of crazy performance, basically. So it makes it easy for us, us to access funding. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in-the-weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Do you employ or pay workers in other countries? Even if you don't yet, you might soon. Now that remote work is the norm, employees have more freedom than ever to move around. If you want to keep the best people, you have to stay flexible. That's why remote makes it easy for companies of all sizes to employ global teams. They take care of international payroll, benefits, taxes, and local compliance, so you can focus less on paperwork and more on growing your business. Remote helps you onboard full-time employees or contractors in countries all over the world in minutes on its simple, easy-to-use platform. And even better, Remote helps you rest easy by providing you the most comprehensive intellectual property protection and data security in the industry. They own full local legal entities in all their covered regions, guaranteeing you never have to deal with a third party ever. To save you money, Remote never charges any fees or salary percentages. You get access to everything Remote offers from payroll to compliance and to benefits management for one low flat rate. No hidden fees, no surprises ever. Just the best global employment solution in the business. Best of all, podcast listeners get an even bigger discount. Get your first employee free for 12 months and two months free for any additional employees onboarded during their first year. You can get 50% off Remote's full suite of global employment solutions for your first employee for three months. Just visit remote.com leaders and use the promo code leaders. Hello, leaders. Welcome back. This is Ledge. I hope you're all having a fantastic week. I am here today with Norman Crowley. I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation. Norman, would you please tell us about yourself and your uh, various projects? Because uh, I think this is some real timely, interesting stuff. So good to meet you all. So I guess I'm maybe just to give your listeners who I am. So I'm 51 years old. I have two kids, married, live in Ireland, but generally bounce around the world. And I guess interesting things, set up my first business when I was 15, now running a business that operates in 23 countries around the world to do with climate change. And I guess another hook is that I've exited businesses that are at this stage have been worth about three quarters of a billion bucks. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, if I haven't got your attention now, you can switch off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. The good, the B word. A billion is the new million, right? So, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell us about, about Cool Planet. I know that's that's one of the, the current ventures, and I'd love to talk about Ava, too. Yeah. So Cool Planet is our main holding company, and, and everything that we do is is under the Cool Planet brand. And what it does is... It operates with some of the biggest corporations in the world to help them reduce their carbon or to decarbonize. And 
do that by also saving them money in the process of doing that. And software platforms as well as other services? Or how do you actually execute such things? There's four pillars under that, basically. So the first is what's called Clarity. And what Clarity does is it plugs into factories and big buildings and understands how they consume energy, water, uh, generate waste, and then shows them loads of ways to save that money. And that's been around um, since 2015. And it's become, you know, the market leader. So seven of the top eight food companies in the world, biggest mining company, seven of the top eight pharmaceutical companies, and then other major brands that people would have heard of, like Twitter, and a certain search engine that a lot of people use <laughs> that we're not allowed to mention. Of course. I can't <laughs> so imagine that's clarity. who that is. Yeah. And clarity is, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not Bing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so that's uh, clarity. Uh, and then if you think about what's happening in the world, the largest energy consumers need to solve a couple of things. So one is, hey, how come I'm emitting all this carbon? So that's clarity, what's going on in my facilities. The next one is, hey, I need to decarbonize my fleet. I've got 13,000 vehicles and they all need to go electric. So then you need the vehicle, you need the energy for the vehicle, you need to manage all that process. So we have what's called mobility that does that. Then you have this whole thing about I'm generating loads of solar energy or I want to generate loads of solar energy. So then we help asset manage that. We have to trade that onto the grid. So we call that source. And then finally, one of the latest things that's a challenge for these big carbon emitters is accounting, right? So they're going to get fined now if they don't um, reduce their carbon. So they need to account for all their carbon. And a lot of the bigger companies used to kind of make that up for a while or guess it because it's very hard to do. And now you can't really do that anymore because carbon has a price. And if you so if you can't account for it properly, you're going to have to pay for it. And so they need to do what's called carbon accounting. And so the platform that we have runs across all those pillars, basically. And, you know, we're very lucky. I think we've been building it for 10 years, but really in the last three years as climate change has become a huge thing, then our platform is the one that people choose quite a lot to make that work. Why did you set out to do this? Uh, How did this come about? I guess in the the 2000s, in the noughties, um, I had a big gaming company. We'll probably talk about that. Two and a half thousand people publicly quoted uh, in London. And um, I had young kids. And a friend of mine used to invite me to his house to meet with climate scientists and they would talk about climate change. And I guess in the back of my head, I had a feeling that there was something kind of sinister there, you know, and the more I learned about it, the more worried I got. And I guess because I had young kids, I became kind of deeply worried about it uh, for them. And because one of the things as well that was disturbing was a lot of the numbers that the scientists were talking about was were way worse than what the public knew about. And I was going, if these aren't exaggerated, we're in a lot more trouble than we think we are. And then when I would meet people who were kind of raging hippies or on the extreme left or running NGOs, then they didn't have solutions. They just were whinging quite a lot about it and giving out to other people and blame. And what we know about blame and guilt is that they don't inspire change, right? So if you're if you're just making somebody feel guilty all the time or you're blaming people, then you're not going to be creative and come up with a solution. 
So we felt that we would set up a business that wouldn't focus on any of the blame, any of the guilt, but would just focus on the solution and also the economic win from that solution. Like to give you an idea, according to International Energy Agency, we're going to spend $5 trillion a year for the next 20 years starting this problem. So people are going to save a lot of money. People are going to make a lot of money out of this. And also, if you experience things like driving a Tesla, you know that it's not going to be painful, right? It's going to be quite a lot of fun. We're going to have these crazy evolutions of new tech that are going to make it a lot more exciting for consumers. And yet a lot of the people out there tell the story of like, well, to solve climate change, we're all going to have to suffer and share the burden and all of this. And we're there going, hey, where's the suffering, guys? <laughs> like, this is going to be great. Yeah, I, I love that. When I, I went through the, you know, the marketing and the videos and such on uh, Cool Planet, and it's not... Uh... It's not as doomsaying and sort of miserable as you would get from, you know, the I'm not a popular media guy myself, but, uh, you know, you you could see that just the frame is is different. You're looking at this as an exciting challenge uh, where lots of cool stuff is going to develop. It's not about the sixth extinction wave and uh, icebergs, you know, raising the ocean. And, you know, I mean, I, which I guess are all awful things that are about to happen but <laughs> so how, how are you keeping a positive attitude i guess <laughs> well like we know that like if you look at the data um you can either be glass half full glass half empty type of person right if you look at the actual data uh, and some of this is on our website and some of it is from major think tanks like rethink x out of london and what the data says is if you look at climate change is caused by three major things, right? Energy, transport, meat, right? So so where are they all going to go, right? Energy is going to go solar first and battery, and then probably ultimately fusion, and it's going to be free, right? So by 2035, energy is going to drop in price by 90%. That's going to be brilliant for developing countries. It's going to be brilliant for developed countries because they're all going to swan around and fancy cars, and we're not going to have to pay as much for energy, and we can run the air conditioning a little bit harder, so it's brilliant, right? It's much better than it is now. And we will decarbonize massively in the process. Transport's going to, if it's a car or a small truck, it's going to go electric. And we know from Tesla and these guys that these cars are much cooler. They go much faster. We won't have to drive them anymore, which is going to be great. And so, and they don't need as much maintenance. They're much less heartbreaking than the cars we have right now. And then everything is going to, everything in transport is just going to be better. And then finally, there's meat, which, you know, lots of people say, I want to still have my steak and I don't want, I don't like these vegans and I'm not a great fan of vegans myself. And so what is the solution there? And there's about five solutions coming down the tracks. The coolest one is this thing called cellular agriculture, where you actually grow meat in a stainless steel vessel, basically. And that tech is there now and it's dropping in price all the time. And it means we don't have to mess around with animals anymore. And animals are messy, right? They consume a lot of carbon, but also they create a lot of waste. And also it's not that nice to be killing all these little animals, right? So each one of those things solves a problem. We don't have to suffer in the process of solving those problems. Uh, and they dramatically reduce suffering, dramatically reduce carbon. And that's what what's not to be excited about that. Yeah, it's a great story. And I mean, uh, if if we can find a way to 
grow my own ribeye at home, I'm all about this. So, you know, I think this is going to be great. Uh, I'm not sure at home, but certainly in a fancy factory, we can do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I've read about, you know, and, and I think if, if I've learned anything from reading about, you know, innovation is that, that we do tend to underestimate how quickly costs will drop, you know, as, as mandates and scale go up. So, that seems to be the norm and, and we could model that back to, you know, the computer revolution and such. Uh, so, you know, while you're reading all these things and saying, well, it's just, just, just too expensive. It can't compete. You know uh, I've read analysis of, you know, that, well, we'll never be able to get meat down to the price that we need to, but you know, I, it seems that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, I guess, in a lot of these things that I couldn't remember, 10 years ago, reading about solar, solar will never be cost effective, you know, and now it's starting to be one of the cheaper ways to do energy. So. Yeah, well, there was a great headline in the cellular world um, from 2013, which was the $20 million chicken nugget, right? Because that's <laughs> how much it cost them to do a $20 million chicken nugget. And today, a chicken nugget that comes from cell ag is like, it's like, let's call it a buck per chicken nugget, right? Which is still expensive for a chicken nugget. But look at 20 million to a buck in eight years like that's you can draw that graph and see where it ends and where it ends is some pretty cheap chicken in a couple of years time uh-huh absolutely so how did you how did you come to i guess did you had an exit or uh, an experience with the the gaming company so maybe talk about that first because uh this this massive endeavor that you're taking on now couldn't have been cheap to get off the ground so yeah, but I guess money is like if you do good work, money is easy to get, right? And the the better the work you do, the cheaper the money is, right? And so so for us, we're constantly feeding new investment into the group, but based on this kind of crazy performance basically. So it makes it easy for us, us to access funding. How I started off, maybe go back to the origin story was I grew up in Ireland in the 1970s and we didn't have a lot of money, worked on a farm. It was all, a lot of hard work. And yet there was this kind of contradiction, right? So our lives were get up in the morning, work for a long day, even when you were eight or 10 years old. And then we used to watch TV that was all like Dallas and soap operas and this kind of thing where they all had money, right? And um, and so there was this huge contradiction between what we had and what we could see other people had, right? Now, obviously not everybody, but a lot of people. And it just created a burning desire for me to get out of the situation we were in and get into, I guess, that kind of freedom that comes with money and also comes with a lot of other things. And so when I was about 12, my dad showed me how to weld because in a farm, like if you break it, you fix it, right? Um, there isn't anybody else to fix it. And so we, um, he taught me how to weld. And then I used to do welding for local farmers. And by the time I was 15, I started a business in that building sheds and welding for local businesses. And that grew to about 15 people. And by the time I was 20, I sold that business to a local engineering company. And then I always loved software and computers because I always thought that was kind of cooler. And welding is a very dirty kind of hard business. And so we set up a, a software company, not knowing anything about software, not knowing anything about computers. And over six or seven years, we built that up to 180 people, discovered the internet in 2000 or 1997, and then sold that business uh, in 99. And 
I retired at the ripe old age of 28. And um, <laughs> what I discovered then was it wasn't so much about the money. It was about the work. And, and also it was about the team that you could build. And around that time, saw an opportunity to get into the gaming space. And then between 2000 and 2008, built a very serious gaming company, two and a half thousand people, $300 million in revenue. And that was very successful, global business offices around the world. And then what happened in 2008 was, you know, my average day in 2008 is I would leave my wife and my young kids in Dublin and I would go to London where we were headquartered. And then uh, every third week, I would fly to Hong Kong, jump on a jet, fly around eight countries based from Hong Kong. And then every 12th week, I'd fly out to Sydney and spend two weeks in Sydney. And I wasn't living a very healthy life, like eating too much, not exercising. And then around 2008, the wheels just came off the wagon, got like, you know, um, got quite sick, actually. And so... That was a kind of warning to to change things. And so understanding what the problem was and understanding that it needed to change, I decided relatively quickly to sell the business. We sold it for a half a billion bucks uh, to a private equity company. And um, we, we had another business at the time, which is called The Cloud, which is a big Wi-Fi operator. So that took another while to exit. We sold that to Rupert Murdoch in 2011. And then... I guess I was just at that time looking around going, if I'm going to do another business, then it has to be something that we can look back on and be hugely proud of, not just from the point of view of what it did for a living, but also how it built its teams, how it looked after its teams. And that's where Cool Planet came from. So mission, big climate mission, and also very kind of serious about growing a team that can be successful, not just financially, but also emotionally and become good people, basically. It's a talk about that. The team building aspect comes up every conversation, every business size, doesn't matter what people are doing. What was that like the, the build and growth of the team, you know, sort of the right way, uh, having experienced maybe not the right way. Yeah, it's probably the hardest thing. If it's not the hardest thing, it's probably the second hardest thing. If if acquiring clients is the hardest thing, then building a team is the second hardest or vice versa. So, And it's still to this day frustrating, right? So we have certain methods, which I can talk about, that allow us to build a big team. But in the end of the day, the most frustrating thing is you hire somebody and it doesn't work out, right? And our we have a pretty strong interview process but even with that you know we end up with people that we don't suit them or they don't suit us and our cure for that is just to change things quickly so it's not unusual for us to bring somebody in and for them to be moved on within three months and that's i find with weaker organizations that's the big failing is because none of us are psychopaths we don't like giving bad news to people and yet to be a strong business, you've got to whittle away all the time at people who, for whatever reason, the business doesn't suit them. And so we've become quite good at that um, and quite supportive, obviously, of people who don't work out. Um, So that's one side of it. And the other side then is this thing we've built, which is it's three layers of training people and looking after people. So layer one is looking after their technical learning needs so 
making sure that they understand everything to do with what they need to know. And we do that in quite a sophisticated online learning way that we're constantly adding new courses to. And then the next thing is just how to be a good team player. And we use a an external company called Positive to do that. And they build out this really brilliant thing on how to a mixture training courses and interactive stuff just to make people good people, good managers of people, uh, good people at home. Right. And then the final thing is just downright weird and nobody does. And that's that we look after for the want of a better word, people's spiritual growth, I guess. Right. So that's not religious per se. Um, it's more, you know, giving people all the tools they need to be happy and aware and content, right? And that could be, and how we do that is with a with a business that we co-started actually called Light. And what Light does is it allows people to sample all of the spiritual things, everything from yoga, Pilates, all the way through to meditation, all the way through to breath work, all the way through to whatever, and allows people to pick the thing that works for them and then play with that. And it's just a huge mixture of online video stuff mixed with live interactive stuff. Um, and it changes the game completely for them. And the problem with that one and the brilliant thing is, the problem is it takes a while for that to work. The brilliant thing is it completely changes their life. And so it's a combination of that whittling down the team early to real super performers and then taking them and molding them into better people. Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. I haven't heard too many companies investing that much into particularly the third pillar, like like you said there. And and light is a, a system and that is available to other folks then? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's got a website and an app and all that. It's it's new. We're one of the first companies and we kind of co-built it with the founder, Simon. Um, and But it's become quite a serious business now, quite a serious team. But I think nowadays a modern company needs to work at those three levels, right? You need to, people need to understand what it is they're doing. People don't need to understand how to interact with other people. And then people need to be comfortable in their own skin. And that last one is the hardest one. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Really interesting. I'm going to look into that myself. And how did you, how did you build the initial team and competency around, you know, this new business? Because you didn't come from, as I understand it, you know, uh, necessarily a science background, right? Or, you know, and, and you had a bunch of different experiences, but how did you even come to grasp like, well, we're going to tackle climate change, through software and platforms and you know it's like you had some conversations with some scientists it sounds like and then things happened and you know what is that path because i think you know it's easy to have a great big vision and not you know even know how to execute or not execute well yeah yeah we start them all in the same way which is it starts off with a hunch or something we find infinitely annoying right and if it's annoying to us then it's annoying to other people too and then or else it's a hunch so our started off as all these big factories must be wasting quite a lot of energy yeah as it turns out they're wasting about 70 percent of all the energy they consume and then we back that up with data so we either try and find it ourselves on the internet or bring somebody in to to bottom out that data and then i guess the next thing we do is slightly unusual in that we go 
we create a proposition at a very high level, which could be PowerPoint, maybe a demo we've thrown together, and then we go straight to the customer with it. So we don't hypothesize for too long on it. We just go straight to the client and we go, hey, this is something we have, or this is something we're thinking about building. Um, what do you think? Right? Uh, would you buy this off us if we made it? Right? Or, and then they say, a lot of people don't do that because clients are scary. right? Clients turn around and go, I wouldn't buy that. Like That's a stupid idea. Where'd you come up with that? So it's not very confidence building. But what they do say to you is, I wouldn't buy that. But if you had it in blue and not green, I would buy a lot of blue. right? So then you know you've got something and then you build from there. And then your next question is, what does my army look like that I'm going to amass to build that? And that's where you, you know, you, that's there's some technical stuff you need to do there. Like I need one of these and six of these, and then you go out and find them. Yeah. Right. So you don't I make that sound easy. To... It's actually more complex than that. <laughs> it's a lot of um, a lot of iterative loops. That's very agile in nature, right? I guess the, yeah. you know, or lean or yeah, whatever your it is agile. Sort of methodology yeah. is yeah. 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 Uh, no, well, I, it's I, very I love like that. the lean like, startup. Right. And and that going to customers and just saying, you know, hey, what do you think of this is hard. You know, it, it's hard to get audience with a potential customer. It's hard, especially if you're, you know, younger and you don't have as much of a network. And it's also hard to take and know what to do with that feedback. It's like, how will I iterate and not get too attached to your supposition you know at the beginning like well we're going to do it anyway and they're just dumb and they don't get it you know so sometimes the feedback comes back that it just simply invalidates that doesn't matter that you had a great idea or that someone to solve this problem that there's just simply nobody who wants to pay for it to be solved that way so is that did you realize that approaching it from the standpoint of just we're going to help you economically seem to be better than the other vectors, I mean, certainly we're doing better things for the planet in aggregate, but that's hard to sell. So was it really just, you know, if you could derive a, an economic equation that it was, a, it was a lot easier? Yeah, I think, look, if you're appealing to somebody's good graces, it only gets you so far. Right? Whereas if you're, if you're saying I'm going to save you a shitload of money, then, you know, like, I, what's that phrase? Lead with their wallet and their hearts and minds will follow. Yeah, yeah. I believe that's accurate. Yeah. As a, as a career yeah, sales so guy, uh, it seems to be uh, pretty close to the truth. <laughs> well, that's where behavioral and economic finance comes from, right? You know, it's like we want to change behaviors. If we align them economically, it's just going to go easier. Yeah. There's another thing, too, which we've learned in the last couple of years as we've built out the brand more is make it cool. Right? So... If somebody is there and they're going, I'm going to work with this company because they're just kind of cooler, you know. Um, and again, Tesla is a great example of that. I want to own a Tesla. It just seems kind of cool and it's it's more modern and funky. And the more of that you can do, which is around your brand and being considerate about what your brand is and what it does. And what we learned only in the last couple of years is that's a skill, right? There are professionals who are really good at building brands. And it's not, people think brand is about the logo, but it's not about the logo. It's about how, how you operate and what you do and and how you communicate what you're doing internally and externally and then getting buy-in from that. And so people, I find people don't talk about that as much as they talk about a lot of the other things around sales tactics and product and stuff like that, you know. 
And yet there's something about certain brands that you just go, I want to be attached to that. You just gave me an interesting question. You know, you've said Tesla several times as like the the name of cool, which is interesting to, you know, sort of go. It's not maybe not as much Apple now as it is a Tesla, right? As we move into the next zone there. And Tesla is virtually synonymous with Elon Musk, like that personality pitch man kind of sell. If you don't have that person at the helm, how do you build that that brand that isn't, you know, sort of personality led relative to, you know, how to be cool when you don't have the the pitch man out front? Yeah, look, I think any any company can have a pitch man or woman out in front and it doesn't all have to be cool, right? If you think about like Elon has Asperger's, I think. So he just finds public speaking challenging. His if you compare Elon's product launches to Steve Jobs' product launches, like they're entirely different. And yet Elon models through and gets the results. And actually it's a Elon's a great example of you know, not having all the gifts that on one hand, obviously genius engineer, but not having all the presentational gifts that other people would have. He's slightly bonkers, um, which we all kind of like about him. And so I think he, he's a great example of anybody can make it. And it's about that passion for what it is that you want to achieve and then just not giving up, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I do think... Yeah, I do think every founder finds their own way, you know, and and I'm on I'm chairman of a couple of companies and all the founders that I work with are different and yet they all find their way, you know, and, and their ethos is different and the way they put it across is different, but they do find their way. How did you personally build a cool brand? You know, what what is that that makes makes you go, hey, that is a cool thing to work with? I think it's it's a cliche, but it's the team, right? So in our business, it's it's I guess my entrepreneurial nous and pushiness, right? Um, but then it's our head of culture, her caring, her ability to build this training system I was telling you about. It's our head of brand and his ability to create a brand around all this and the passion for that. It's our it's our chief executives of the divisions because they have deep technical knowledge that our customers find credible. And so it is a combination of everybody's work in the same way in the case of Tesla, like Elon, you know, didn't design the circuit board that's in the Model 3, right? That was a team of people who made that amazing. So it's the same as that, you know, and the brand then is a mixture of everybody's passion being put into it and i guess the job of the person at the top is to give them their voice and give them the confidence that they have their voice and also absolutely watch their back right so they you know we were with a major client all day today and there was a team of five of us and and it was a mixture of senior executives and then people that work for them and they they were brilliant with the client because they knew that i trusted them they trusted me and and therefore they were very credible and worked together and but the reason that comes about is because if there's a if i have an issue with them i tell them i never tell them in front of anybody else and so there's this absolute trust that occurs from that and then they trust the organization and then out of that comes the output as a ceo 
do you think of it as the integrator kind of role or the chief sales type of role or you know what what type of of ceo are you i I talk to all different types, you know, some come out of uh, marketing and some come out of sales and some are the visionary and some are the integrator or the operator. And I'm just, I'm always fascinated by the the different ways we cast that role. Yeah. I think in the beginning, you're either the chief salesperson or you're the chief builder, right? <laughs> you're one of those two roles. And then I think when you get to an, a business of scale, you, you merge into what, if, if you're going to be successful, you merge into one type of person, which is your job is to build an executive team and make them amazing, right? And also still be the chief sales guy. Because if you're not in front of the customer regularly, you don't know what the customer is thinking. Therefore, you can't help shape the product. And also, you're the best person to be the salesperson. And prior to the interview, you talked about being in a different city than where you live and doing more traveling and then the story was that you stopped traveling because of your health so i'm wondering how do you manage uh traveling to 23 countries in a way that does not make you ill and and sort of uh, yet still feeds uh the need to be out there yeah it's like it's like jocko willing said discipline equals freedom right so you you know, you get up in the morning, you go for a run, you eat properly, you meditate for half an hour to an hour every day, discipline, discipline, discipline. That's how you do it. You know, and that if you if you do that, you know, it opens all the doors, basically. And and there's they're the kind of pillars that I would operate within. Like we've been, you know, we had a very early start in a different city this morning. We've just spent all day with the client, do this now, and then Weirdly, before I meet our team for dinner, I'll meditate for 45 minutes. You know, That's interesting. And how, as a, I have to ask, because I'm a father of five. So you, you talked about your two kids and, you know, having been through growing up in, in and around them in your, in your business, you know, it's kind of environment. Uh, how has all this shaped your parenting experience? So I guess... First of all, there's two of us in it, and while I'm off doing that, my wife is is really holding the family together. You know, it's curiously as they get older, like mine are 21 and 23 now. You know, they they see how we operate in the business. They the business has a very big public persona, so they understand that. Um, but also they understand how we operate privately and how they how we worry about them and our teams and all that. And you know. It's a cliche, I think, again, but your kids look at what you say, but they more look at what you do, right? And the closer what you say and what you do match to each other, the more you get your kids trust that scenario, you know? And so I think it's worked out incredibly well. I certainly can only take a small amount of credit for that. But I think as they get older, uh, being in business and being a parent, a lot of the similar things are true, right? Building up trust, building up their confidence, giving, watching their back, all that stuff we talked about earlier. If you can do that with your kids, then you develop absolute trust with them. And that's, that is the cure for everything, right? And because they, they will tell you anything. Like they, they feel confident enough, they'll tell you everything because they know you have their back. And so many situations in parenting that's not the case. Like, do your kids know that they can come to you with absolutely anything and they will not be judged, right? 
And if you can get into that situation, then, you know, there the world opens up for them as well. Being a parent of still some youngins, I'm thinking uh, also cleaning up their messes uh, is pretty high on the on the list. So that's very similar to early stage startups. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, the other one I think when they're younger is uh, respect, right? Being respectful of everybody, right? And especially our kids grew up in a in a house that at that point had been, you know, we'd made quite a lot of money. And so there was there was help in the house and that kind of thing. And and when they were on holidays, like being absolutely respectful to everybody else. And, you know, but a lot of people then say, well, I'm going to teach them the value of money because that's how I grew up. Curiously, we didn't do that, right? They could have whatever they wanted, right? As long as they were respectful, as long as they treated whatever it is they got with respect, they could have whatever they wanted. And now they grow up and they they completely respect the value of money. They work incredibly hard. They're nice to everybody they meet. So some of the stuff I see kind of rich people doing around you know, I'm going to make them work for every cent. <laughs> I got to go, I'm mm, not convinced that works, you know, and I'm not convinced it creates the attitude you want either. You know, it's honestly, I think if, if you teach them to respect people, uh, everybody, right, then a lot of stuff stems from that. I'd like to know? see that book or uh, that body of work come out next. It sounds like uh, some counterintuitive wisdom that that could uh, be really useful <laughs> fantastic yeah. well it yeah, worked I'm for glad, us i'm glad <laughs> I, i'm glad i asked the question so before we wrap i told you i ask everyone to always you know put on their futurist hat and kind of tell the the b2b audience here what should we be paying attention to you know over the next two three years uh, in our own business journeys i think because people listen to a lot of podcasts like this, they know a lot of it already. Things like, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, you know, tech, you name it. So it's hard to predict and not do that. I guess the way the way we do it, maybe to give you something different, is to just say how we see the world. We have a very radical view, which is we see that climate change will largely be solved in the next 10 years. And in the process of solving it, it will change our lives as we know them. So it, like, like I was saying earlier, energy will be free. If you, like, if you think about living in a space in 10 years' time, you will live in a space that will be heated or cooled for practically no cost. You will be able to transport yourself anywhere in the world for very, very low cost in great comfort, right? And, and you'll be able to feed yourself at super low cost. So... Now, people listening are just saying, this guy is on drugs and completely fantastical. But if you read something like Rethink X from the, or Rethinking Humanity from the Rethink X Foundation, which is a PDF that you can download for free, this explains how all this not only will happen, but is already happening, right? So cellular agriculture grown meat, meat will drop meat prices by 92% using 98% less resources, Right. We're already seeing in transport. I was talking to a bus operator today, and their operating cost of the buses has already dropped by 70% because they've moved to electric. So, and nobody paints this picture. You know, if you, you know, we've never lived in a more peaceful time than we live in now, right? We've never lived in a time where it's been safer to be alive. And yet, if you plug into a lot of what's being pushed out at the moment, you would think this is the worst time to be alive. It's simply not the case. 
And so we're incredibly optimistic about the future. You know, I, I, I want to ask the one follow up to that is, you know, from whence or where would we consume more positive material uh, such as this? What are the what are the positive uh, character foils for, you know, all the, the negativity? Because it would be nice to find authoritative things that are not, you know, just poetry or or something like that. I find, you know, listening, I find listening to podcasts very good because it's not mainstream and you get different opinions. Sometimes podcasters are vilified because they come out with a message that isn't mainstream. And of course, mainstream media love to pile on because, of course, they don't get any revenue from those podcasts. <laughs> so uh, so I find podcasts a great source. I find following the right people on Twitter. And, you know, if you start with somebody like Elon or any of those people you and then follow the podcast that you like you can build up this kind of database of of positive thinkers and then reading reports that are non-mainstream like that rethink x report it's fantastic actually and you can build up a knowledge bank of just different ways of thinking and the brilliant thing about nowadays is you can do that at zero cost and um, but even like I guess I grew up liberal. I grew up in a very religious family, and and I, and I kind of reacted to that and became quite liberal in my ways of thinking, and I'm still quite liberal in my ways of thinking. But and therefore I started to plug in a lot into the Guardian and the New York Times and all that. And now what I find with a lot of that mainstream stuff is it's either gone way left or it's gone way right. Nobody's in the middle anymore on the mainstream stuff. So then if you're in the middle, and most people are in the middle, then you've got to pick your own voice, right? It's not as easy as it used to be, you know? It's like, if you think about America, and you think about Neil Armstrong landing on the moon, right? You watched that on ABC, right? And ABC told you what you needed to know, right? And that it was that simple, right? But now... It's not at all that simple. Now there's a lot of crazy voices out there and you have to find your own voice. Find your own crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, it is a version of crazy right, anyway, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> Norman, this has been uh, a lot of fun. If anybody's listening and they want to get in touch or follow you on you know, certain channels, how would they do that? So our main website for those on the website cake is coolplanet.io and then you can follow me on twitter mainly i'm at norman crowley one the number one on twitter and i'm that's mainly where i'm active i look yeah. forward to some positivity myself you'll be getting my follow so. <laughs> <laughs> and just one more thing like you mentioned there and just to follow up on it you mentioned about ava our car yes business. i did and rather than getting into it now yeah we the summary is we make beautiful electric cars they're extremely high-end and so they're they're not yet within reach of of normal smaller money these things go for half a million to multi-million but you can follow us on ava um again on instagram if you type in ava electrify then you'll see us there and if you like vehicles and you like beauty then it's a nice one yeah to follow. this is beautiful stuff that's right i was, I was going to ask and i forgot but uh, you all have to look at uh ava because it's AVA. Uh, what's the what's the full web address? Studio Ava. Just absolutely gorgeous vehicles, uh, electrified, and uh, talk about things. I want the cost to come down on. Uh, that would be 
that would be really nice. So appreciate you, Norman. Awesome insights. I, I love this. We're going to have to come back for another episode and check in every uh, once in a while. Perfect. Thanks for your time. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.